Hey folks, welcome to The Shrink and the Pundit. I'm Jeff Salzman, the pundit, and I'm here with Keith Witt, the shrink. And today, Keith and I are going to meld our specialties. I usually deal with politics in my work at the Daily Evolver. And you, Keith, as a practicing psychotherapist, focus on psychotherapy. And by the way, you can find Keith's great books and videos at drkeithwitt.com. And so today, putting them together, we're going to talk about the psychology of politics. And I guess I'd say to start out with, (laughs) in, in the middle of this crazy presidential election that we're having here in the U.S., I think we could all use a psychotherapist. So I'm really happy to have this conversation. And, and yet, you know, when we were talking just a minute ago, you were saying that it's a challenge for you, too. You were saying that you had a dream about this conversation. Oh, yeah. I had a nightmare about this last night. <laughs> Tell us was, about it. So usually when I prepare for these, everything gets clearer and clearer. And so as I prepared for this, everything got more and more confusing. And I kept on discovering the unhealthy versions of, of red, blue, orange and green popping up like like a whack-a-mole game. And I would try to, like, you know, soothe them, and then another one would pop up. So last night I had a dream that I was taking some kind of SAT or ACT uh, test, and I had three desks covered with papers with tiny little writing about uh, history, that philosophy, and neurobiology. And I started studying one of them, and then I realized I'd lost my questions oh, Lord. and my answer sheet. And then I started wandering, looking for them. I couldn't find them. And then I would talk to one of the proctors, who was a combination of two of the best philosopher kings that I've ever known in terms of managers. And the guy said, well, you're just going to have to do the best you can. And I was sitting there feeling more and more stupid. And, and, then I, and then I thought, well, God, I've got three college degrees. I don't have to take this. And then I went, no. <laughs> you, even though you feel stupid and you've got three college degrees, you're going to have to do the best you can. It doesn't matter how well you do. I woke up totally anxious going, thank God that was a dream. And then I thought, that's completely about our conversation. Yeah. <laughs> Isn't that something? I mean, what a classic, you know, we've, we've done talks on dreams. And what a classic one that is to be taking a test and get all befuddled. Yes. You know, it's just like, it says so much about life. In politics, yes. All right, so let's turn our attention to this. And, you know, as we typically do with evolutionary views, we want to start with a big picture. And, you know, so politics. And, you know, I I remember I was a political science major in in my uh, undergrad. And I remember in one of my first classes, they just defined what political science is. And I always remember it. It, it, It's the study of the application of power. And I love that because it's simple and, you know, sort of orients everything. And so we were talking a couple weeks ago and you were saying that that application of power really has origins deep in our evolutionary history. So why don't we just start by laying a little of that kind of ground and then we'll get into this crazy election. (laughs) Okay. Well, evolution can be understood as a series of progressive constraints that the fields that are the, the cosmic strings are constrained by subatomic particles, which are constrained by atoms, which are constrained by molecules, all up to life. And then life is constrained by instincts. Um, an amoeba has to go towards a positive uh, stimulus, you know, nourishment. It has to go away from a noxious stimulus. Mm-hmm. And by the time that life got to groups, particularly birds and mammals, though some reptiles, um, there were social constraints that the groups that had a, a social uh, hierarchy and a social organization could outcompete other groups in, in kin selection. Um, those bloodlines could outcompete other groups. And so those groups um, developed politics. And those politics were constraints on the groups. And those, it looks like those dominance hierarchies, like with wolves and, and moose and, and deer and so on, are um, enforced with violence. Um, but even the violence in in the politics of a wolf pack is constrained. And they're not trying to kill each other when they're pushing for dominance, the dominant males or females. They're trying to defeat the other person, the other animal, with constraints uh, until they, there's a certain point that's, that's, that's reached. There's a social equilibrium, and then that social equilibrium then um, uh, dominates for the next period of time the group. So this, this happens, of course, with human beings. And when, when human beings develop the capacity for memory and language, I suspect that the dominance um, hierarchies shifted into debate. Um, hmm. I'm sure there was lots and lots of, of violence in the last couple of hundred years, but also there's a lot of people yelling at each other. Yeah. Um, 
And yelling at each other is, is not as violent as hitting each other or killing each other. It, it was a developmental milestone. Um, and as far as, as I can tell, uh, the first peaceful transfer of power from one major group to another happened in the 1800 election between Jefferson and Adams. Hmm. Um, I can't find any other record of a peaceful uh, transfer of power. Yeah. Um, and that was a developmental milestone that is staggering to me. Yeah. Uh, and that, that would be what we would call the orange or, or modern uh, yeah. mi- milestone. And that is it, a, a, a hugely pacifying stage of development when you consider what came before it, which is all of human history, the catastrophe of human history before modernity. Yes. It, it's just, you know, it makes me so grateful for politics. Um, as, uh, um, you know, Steve and Carter were uh, talking about their uh, um, Institute for Cultural Evolution, that there will always be polarities. There will always be dialectics in, in groups and in social groups. But the fact that we've normalized in this country transfer of power nonviolently with one civil war um, and, and have continued. And the way that Franklin and Jefferson and those guys rigged the system, which again is genius, is that a disenfranchised minority can freeze the process and the majority has to find a way to work with them. Yeah. That they, you know, it, it's, it's, it's the Republicans can't go out and get an army and defeat the Democrats if the Democrats are blocking their agenda. And the Democrats can't do the same thing to the Republicans if they freeze their agenda. And we've all normalized that. The moment that I had the most, of, one of the moments where I had the most affection for Bush and Cheney is when they peacefully passed power over to Barack Obama, yeah. someone that they disagreed with and despised. Um, and so... No, we should take, you know, we take heart in that, that that's, we're living in an amazing time compared to human history. Now, you know, compare it to some ideal or compare it to our opinion of what it should be. It's a mess still. And, you know, it is. But, you know, you were saying a minute ago that you, with your, your dream and your, or your nightmare, and, you know, just as you've been thinking about this, that you're, you're seeing these sort of ugly aspects of all of these human stages of development. And in a way, that's, if I could just step back another step, and you've emphasized this over and over again, that human beings are wired to do, you know, two things. There's at least there's two poles. One is we fight our way forward. And the other is we fuck our way forward. Uh, you know, the, 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 we really have, uh, the, you know, the, those two Things are built in. We want to make friends. We want to affiliate. We want to create with each other. We love each other. We're fascinated by each other. We can't leave each other alone. And at the same time, one of the ways that we move forward is by fighting. And it seems like the political system, at least the way it is now, I'm not sure in the sacred world to come that this won't change, but the way it is right now, we do more fighting at this stage of the game. You know, politics, we're in the arena right now at this stage of the game. And and then one of the things that we're seeing in this election, which is very rare, if not unprecedented, it's probably unprecedented, but we're seeing that we have a candidate in every developmental level from red up to green. And if you include Obama, we have one even in integral, in my opinion. Uh, yes, and, I- and, and we get into opinions here too, but you know, let, let me just lay this out. Donald Trump, you know, Donald Trump, clearly has other capacities, but he's waging his campaign with a center of gravity of red. He's just fighting, you know, and he, he'll fight anybody. It's amazing. And, you know, and then we have, and we can come back to him because he's so interesting because he's so unusual. And then we have Ted Cruz, who is staked out the, the you know, nationalistic, religious, social conservative. Uh, he's traditionalist or amber and system or blue and spiral dynamics. And then in the orange or modern level, we have somebody, who, the, the candidate who's, there's two candidates there. The one leaning right is John Kasich and the one leaning left is Hillary Clinton. And then we have in green, which is, you know, just, he's just, you know, social democracy, the whole sort of green project, which is wonderful and amazing as an evolutionary, um, you know, stage is Bernie Sanders. And so it's really, really an interesting election in, just in that way alone. And to I see agree. that on the, on the Republican side, that this vivid red 
this, um, you know, Donald Trump, who, he has, you know, he doesn't, he's not really about policy. He's not really about ideas. <laughs> I mean, policy and ideas don't come online until uh, amber and orange, for God's sakes. At Red, it's really just about finding Big Daddy or Big Mama. And that's the role he's playing. What do you think? I think that's a masterful analysis. <laughs> You know, Baron von Clausewitz in the 19th century said, war is the continuance of politics by other means. Yes. And I think he got it backwards. I think politics is the continuation of war by other means. Right on, man. And I see exactly what you're saying. And, you know, this is where I get into my own, you know, unhealthy uh, orange, blue, green whack-a-mole. Because, <laughs> you know, I see Trump trying to pretend, you know, to be healthy blue and just being miserable at it. You know, I see Cruz trying to pretend to be healthy orange, not very good. You know, Hillary awkward trying to pretend to be healthy blue. Um, yeah. You know, Bernie uh, kind of falling over himself trying to pretend to be healthy orange. You know, he doesn't give a fuck about, about businesses doing well. But then when they're coming directly from their value mean, um, I, I, and, you know, it's more complicated than that because I, I think that probably Hillary basically has green values. I think that Bernie does believe in, you know, a, a capitalist system that, that works. Um, I think Cruz is way more calculating um, and, and facile with his beliefs than he, I, in other words, I think he's more red than he lets on. Um, you know, and, and Trump has to have made a few uh, good business decisions. So, you know, even a blind batter hits a home run once in a while. Right. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, and so it's what I'm noticing when, so we can talk about it from kind of the altitude you know, from like we're doing now, from, from a, a teal attitude. And I can be comfortable talking about it, I'm noticing. But when I start diving in and dealing with it from a more visceral place, yeah. from my own value system, I start manifesting unhealthy red, unhealthy blue, unhealthy orange, unhealthy green, which makes me confused and dis distrusting. You know, partly because I get so angry. You know, as a therapist, when you work with somebody, some people change more, more quickly, some people change more slowly. And when someone's changing slowly, I, I can be patient with the suffering, the extra suffering that they're going to have to endure changing more slowly. I can have equanimity about that generally, uh, less so if they're parents, because that means their children have to wait longer for them to become better parents. But when it comes to the culture is is not changing, it, it, not changing more quickly, and so millions of people suffer. I get really pissed off. I get, I get into a green rage. Yeah. And then, you know, then I want to start attacking the blue people that are stopping and the orange people that are stopping this progress that can relieve the suffering. Right. Um, but then, and I can do the same thing from orange. I'll go, well, it makes so much more sense from a competitive standpoint. Um, every time there was ever a regulation, for instance, on the energy industry, the, the result of it always was um, less pollution, more wealth, more jobs. Um, it was always a positive thing. And so it was good for business. It was good not just for business. It was good for the energy business to have regulation. And, and so from a healthy orange standpoint, I see individual uh, groups stopping um, regulation that will create more wealth and more stability and less suffering, then I get in, I get, I get into an orange rage. <laughs> yeah. Then I got to whack that mole. Yeah. Okay, well, it, you know, it, it's, I, th well, I think you really put your finger on something that is up for a lot of us integralists. And that is, you know, it's not like we're not ankle deep in orange, waist deep in green, maybe, you know, maybe ankle deep in red, mm -hmm. you know, whatever. I mean, the, we have all of these structures that we identify with, particularly green for most integralists, you know, I mean, we're world centric, we care about global warming, we care about equality, we're in, we're, you know, we're on that, that agenda. And then as integralists, we look at the system and see that the system is evolving under its own power. And that doesn't mean that, you know, our participation isn't required. But we see that, at least for me, the, the project is to work with the anger that is just natural to these earlier stages. And, and I feel it too. I mean, I often talk about Ted Cruz is a perfect example for me because I've talked about this before. He, he, he fails my, what I call my remote control test, yes. which is, you know, if his face shows up in the screen, I have to leap for the remote control. I have to <laughs> mute it. I have to stop it. I, I can't listen to him. 
Now, <laughs> so I noticed that. And as an integral practitioner, I think one of the, the markers of integral consciousness, you and I have talked about this many times, is that we actually, we, we see that in ourselves and we say, oh, cool. You know, I turn towards that. I want to actually see wh what's the juice there. And so I start working with Ted Cruz. And, I, and, and first of all, I, I have to, as, a, as an act of will, uh, listen to Ted Cruz and assume that he's telling me the truth because he has, uh, you know, this, this wonderful word that people have used about him, including George Will, an oleaginous personality. <laughs> Perfect. You know, it's oily and it's not just even oily, it's fake oil, you know, oleo. You know? <laughs> and so he has this personality and, and then, so I think, so, okay. Um, but I think he really believes what he's saying actually. And, and, and one of the things that helped me was the other day I saw the interview with Alan Dershowitz, who was Ted Cruz's professor, law professor at, um, at Harvard. And he said, Ted Cruz was Ted Cruz back then. You know, he was for the death penalty. He was for, you know, he, he was just reflexively anti-government. He was, you know, a dyed-in-the-wool conservative. He really believed it. So that helps me to take Ted Cruz seriously. And, of course, you can see Ted Cruz's own karma in his life story with his father who, his, you know, his father did that classic red-to-blue move. He was uh, drunk. He got his wife pregnant. He left the family. He, you know, was uncivilized, basically. And then he found Jesus. He got civilized. He came back, rejoined the family, became a minister, and is a great success story as a traditionalist, as moving up from red to blue or red to amber, however you want to look at that. And, uh, and that's the family story of Ted Cruz. And it's a great success story. So, you know, I start thinking about that, and that softens me with Ted. And I realized that maybe he, you know, maybe Ted's just odd. You know, he's a little bit on the spectrum. He, you know, he's like, you know, my godson who's Asperger and he has to sort of remind himself to look me in the eye and to, you know, ask me about myself. And none of that's really obvious or easy for him, even though he's a brilliant kid. And so, you know, Ted has a little touch of that. And, you know, he's had to pay a price. He's been unlikable his entire life. And so I'm beginning to get a little more um, sympathetic. And, you know, th what this doesn't mean is that I give him an inch politically. You know, I'm still going to vote against him. I'm still going to resist him with all, the, you know, his policies, if, you know, all of that. But I don't have to hate and condemn him anymore. And that's, I think, a, a worthy integral project. I agree. Uh, and that compassion, I was relaxing as you were describing that story. But also, from a psychological standpoint, I'm afraid. You know, Ted Cruz frightens me more than any other candidate. Yeah. Um, his developmental history, at least until his father found religion, was very much like Adolf Hitler's developmental history. And his psychology is very much like Adolf Hitler's psychology. Um, his, his instinct is uh, tear it down, a violent instinct. Um, and for, for someone who's anti, instinctively anti-government to be in charge of the government, um, for someone um, who alienates people to be in charge of a country that needs to bring people together, just scares the hell out of me. I, I, don't, I think that he has, that his shadow is the most dangerous shadow of all the candidates. Um, and uh, it was, you know, Bush, it was bad enough. You know, he was impulsive, but he didn't have as much of a, uh, he, he had an aggressive instinct, but not as much of a destructive in instinct. I was similarly frightened when Bush and Cheney um, were running. Um, <laughs> I was walking around saying, doesn't anybody see their psychology? Hey. <laughs> yeah, no, I know. The other part of it is, yeah, there's a part of him, obviously, that wants to serve. And, and one thing that I forget is that the presidency is a moderating force on whoever gets it. Yeah. I, I haven't, I, people do not get um, le less world-centric as presidents. They get more world-centric. Right. And they don't get less compassionate as presidents. They get more compassionate. Um, so, the, so the, you know, the presidency would mellow him, though I think he would cause great damage. And I'm like you. I would vote against him and I'm against all his policies. Yeah, no, fair enough. And uh, the, the one part I argue with you about is, is he the worst? And, yeah. you know, <laughs> there you go. which you brings us to Donald J. Trump. <laughs> <laughs> Good point, Jeff. Well, you know, I mean, here's, here's, here's a really telling example from, from, from Trump to me is that when he tweeted out the picture of, uh, of, of Heidi Cruz, the, the unflattering picture. So, you know, the, Anderson Cooper is interviewing him, said, why'd you do that? 
And and Trump's answer is, well, Cruz did it first uh-huh. with that, you know, thing that the, his super PAC did with Melania and her GQ pictures. Uh-huh. And I thought uh, Anderson Cooper thought the same thing I did. It's like, are you serious? That, that's your answer? <laughs> I mean, we wouldn't expect a second grade teacher to, exp- uh, to you know, accept that answer. And yet that was actually a suitable answer for Donald Trump. Yeah, and it makes you, sense to him. Yeah, exactly. And you realize, you know, uh, people often ask me, you know, what sort of a, an example of how these developmental levels work and how people are pulled up to the center of gravity to their, of their families and their culture and so forth. Donald Trump obviously lived in a house where getting even was what you did when you were done wrong. Yeah. As opposed to me, which was I was encouraged to operate from a higher level. Well, you don't want to just because he hit you doesn't mean that you hit him back kind of thing. And that's that's a very classic move from red to blue or red to amber. And and Trump didn't get that. And, you know, so that can be amusing when it is a, a tweet of, you know, their wives pictures. But it's also a, an orienting principle for him. I was watching him uh, on an interview the other night about torture because he's talking about we should waterboard more and, and, and more than that even. So the question is to him, that's torture. Why would you do that? His answer was, look what they're doing. They're beheading people. They're putting people in metal cages and drowning them and all of this stuff. And you realize, wait a second, that's red consciousness. That's a really an interesting example of red consciousness because he's not really taking it to the higher level of leave it to God, leave it to, you know, leave, they'll get their reward, they'll get their punishment, and that we have to operate from laws and principles. And, you know, we have the Geneva Convention and all of that stuff. That, that doesn't have the uh, currency with him that right. just getting even does. It's really something. It, it, yeah, that's scary. Uh- I was at a bed and breakfast and got to talking with a guy there who was a businessman back when Trump was starting business. And Trump got interested in this guy's 19-year-old sister. And she was flattered because he was uh, set up in business by whoever he was being set up in business by. And this guy knew Trump. He hung out with him at the, you know, their local watering hole. And he told his family and his sister, if you go out with this guy, I will never talk to any of you. Hmm. Because he knew that, that she would have an awful time. You know, she would be one of a long series of, of women as he's had and so on for, for that reason. And you notice when you talk, there's an absence of where you're pointing out is an absence of self-observation. Yeah. You know, an absence of I am not constrained by the rule of law. Yeah. And there isn't a sense of, of even of um, comfort in the rule of law. I'm personally comforted by the rule of law. Yeah, in, me too. In, in America, the Constitution has become a sacred document. So that sacred document to a certain extent, trumps the Bible with religious fundamentalists to a large extent. I mean, yes. not in everything, but to a large extent. That's comforting to me because I'm not going to be burned at the stake because the sacred text says you can't do that to Keith just because he disagrees with you. Um, the rule of law um, is what protects me from uh, violent, de- destructive uh, red, blue, uh, and orange. And green, for that matter. Um, yeah. So... And, you know, and I think that you could, you could go up with each person and say, these are the things that they aren't seeing. And this is one of the hard things about an integral altitude. First of all, it's hard to see, you know, in the land of the blind, the one-eyed person is frequently frustrated, anxious, and pissed off. <laughs> um, no, they're king. <laughs> yeah, well, that has been my experience. <laughs> no, I love that. So there's that. And also, I don't like feeling patronizing. I'm just, I'm distrustful of yeah. myself, and I feel patronizing when someone has a, a blind spot. I've been reading these political books um, to get ready for uh, our talk, and you know they fall into several categories. George Lakoff is a cognitive scientist, wrote *The Political Mind*. Drew West, Weston is a neuroscientist and wrote *The Political Brain*, and a guy named Sasha Eisenberg wrote *The Victory Lab*. Sasha Eisenberg, *The Victory Lab*, is a, is is an orange guy. He's all about winning and has contempt. For anybody who doesn't use the strategies that will help them win. Yeah. You know, in that sense, for him, he admires Karl Rove. Karl Rove uh, was a genius at, at getting his candidates elected. Lakoff, the, co- the cognitive scientist, who the originator of primary metaphors, says that, it, that a conservative and liberal breaks down into strict father and nurturing parent metaphors. Um, and he tears his hair out. You know, he goes into green rants about the Democrats. Um, and not accessing this data. And Drew Weston, the political brain guy, is even worse. 
You know, he says, and this is really accurate, that to get elected, you need to have a limbic approach. You have to need to appeal to people's limbic systems. And yep. There's endless data about that. Yep. But everybody that observes, the presidential historians, the philosophers, the, um, the political scientists, say that you really need your neocortex to govern. And it's the neocortex guys like Obama and, and especially Clinton that are the best governors. So you've got to activate your limbic the limbic circuits to get elected, and then you got to, sh- if you want to be an effective governor, effective meaning get good things done rather than create bad things, you need to make the shift. And according to him, the only person who was ever able to, who was able to do that in the last 50 years was Bill Clinton, who's intensely limbic when he gets elected, but he was yeah. intensely neocortex when he was governing. And his administration was so successful that in the, the Gore-Bush campaign, the Republicans again and again had to keep shifting to the personality issue because they didn't want to run off of Clinton's record which was astoundingly successful. Um, and so, yeah. you know, this is the kind of thing where the whack-a-mole comes up. I get, yeah. God, I get frustrated. I want to have the philosopher king in charge, but the philosopher king has to inspire um, other value memes. Um, it's essentially manipulate, manipulate them to a certain extent. Yeah. Um, and I hate, I hate manipulation, and yet... If you don't do it, you're like the National Football League. You know, political parties are like, you know, campaigns well, are like that. you know, I, I think you get back to the point you made about patronizing. One of the problems with being integral is that we actually do, our premise is, is that there's structures of consciousness that evolve. One is more complex and capable than the previous and, and, and onward. And so people who are at an integral level are really, in a way, parents. They're at a higher level. And one of the ways that, it, it, and of course, that makes my green alarms go off because, you know, <laughs> yes. green doesn't want to have any levels. But uh-huh. yeah, I mean, I think to be intelligent, we have to see that there is a, a, a spiral of the electorate. There are absolutely people at red. We're seeing them. Uh, these are center of gravity. You know, there may be orange or green in other ways. They're wonderful people in many ways. There's a lot of people I know from where I grew up, you know, but yeah. they're just sort of oriented to fight. They're not, they're not world centric. They're, 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 it's just, all of that is annoying to them. Climate change, all of this stuff. They're really trying to just live their lives. And so in a way, as an integralist, we want to be the, the schoolyard monitor or something. I, I'm the parent, the, the teacher, the one who says that, yeah, is, is it okay to manipulate a two-year-old? Yes, yeah. of course it is. Is it okay to manipulate a six-year-old? Yes. A 12-year-old? Yes. I mean, it's just good parenting. Yeah. And so it's one of the challenges of integralists is to sort of get comfortable with that, even psychically. First of all, this is something, a point that Carter Phipps made. He said that, um, uh, for other reasons, the postmodern has more responsibility. Yes. To a certain extent, you know, it was the, the postmodern movement that they kind of opened the doors to, you know, people going, being more extreme in positions. But, you know, my principle is that the person with the deepest consciousness in the room has the most responsibility for the room. And so that means that it, from a secondary altitude, we have more responsibility than anybody yeah. to influence the process in a pro-social evolutionary way. And part of that, I agree. Yeah. You know, the, the, the manipulation part of it, I, I, you know, I love research, but I, and, and the research that typically, that almost always makes me laugh is research on political choices. Uh, you know, they showed five to 12 year olds paired pictures of candidates in various races. Okay. These are five to 12 year olds. And they said, um, so you're going to have to go to, uh, you know, Candyland and, you know, and, and, and wage a campaign and you ha- you're on a ship. And one of these guys has to be the captain of your ship. So these five to 12 tw- year olds picked the person who eventually won the campaign 71% of the time, <laughs> just from the headshot. Wow. Interesting. We are hardwired, you know, during when people are anxious, they want a strong face. Yeah. Um, when people are secure, they want a more nurturing face. Yeah. If there's, a, if there's a more attractive and a less attractive face of equal ability, people will go for the attractive face. People will go to, for a strong, someone projecting strong leader over someone who cares for people like me. So these are the evolutionary forces that yeah. we deal with. And yeah. so, yeah, it's true. You know, and, and, you know, Green was contemptuous of, of using this kind of data and these kinds of techniques, and as a result, lost election after election yes. after election. Yes for a long time until they began to say, look, we need, in this marketplace of ideas, if there's a, ta- a tactic that works, 
that we can do broadly within our ethical system, we have an obligation to use it. And from an integral standpoint, you can do the same, you know, it's like the abortion thing. You know, women didn't want abortion because it was wrong according to blue standards. They thought that women should have the right to choose. Um, they were okay for abortion because don't tell me what, uh, uh, what to do with my body. And then there were women that had a more nuanced view but didn't like abortion. You know, from an integral standpoint, you can do the same thing for different motivations, and it'll be right in one, mo one moment and, and wrong in another, and that's obvious to us. It looks hypocritical from another value mean. Yeah, totally. And I think you're, you're right that uh, Clinton was one who was able to, one of his famous statements is that it's better to be strong and wrong than weak and right. And wow. well, and that's just sort of, uh, you know, when people are voting for president, that's the lead person who's going to be protecting us. That really is the number one job of the president. And they all say so. And yep. it's true. You know, so we want somebody who can go red, you know, yeah. and just do plain old power politics and just get things done. And, not, and we'll work out the fairness and we'll work out the justifications later. But we want somebody who can do that. And that's one of the perceived weaknesses of Obama. I actually would argue that it's not a weakness of Obama, but it's seen that way. And that's yeah. why particularly people at Red and, and, and Amber, Obama literally scares them in, in the sense that they don't feel like he's minding the store in, in the right way. They don't feel like he's strong enough and they, don't, they feel insecure under his leadership. And, you know, that causes all kinds of sort of hatreds and, and you know, uh, 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 they see him as being, you know, dishonest and vile and all of these things. But uh, that's really where it comes from, is that he just doesn't project that kind of power. Well, it's and, and, you, and yet that kind of power, you know, you see it in Dick Cheney and, and Bush, that actually is repulsive to the Greens. Yeah. You know, so... Well, uh, it, well, any good leader that, has to be working the whole you? spiral. Well, what's, but, you know, okay, as an integral, you know, as, you know, both of us, mostly integral and, you know, on good days, especially. <laughs> yeah. But you need, you, what's attractive to you? Because you disagree with that because, because you see more deeply. You know, what do you see about Obama that is either not seen or is denied by other value means? Well, I see that he's willing to, I'm all for his drone program. I think that he's actually being intelligent and waging 21st century warfare by flying his bombs into a window of a building instead of carpet bombing a whole city. And it still recognizes that violence is still on the table. We're not in a post-violent war. And we're dealing with people who have to be, you know, really, this is where the conservatives have it right. Jihadis, they have to be defeated. You know, they, they can't be talked out of what they're into. And so I think Obama gets that. And I think he's actually waging war. Now, I think he's made some significant mistakes in the Middle East. And I think he's made mistakes all over the place. I, I think that, sure. you know, as an integralist, I don't expect a president to get everything right. I don't expect anything, anybody to. I certainly don't. So, you know, you just want somebody to, you know, work in the odds and do a, you know, making more right decisions than wrong. And I think Obama is willing to do that. He's also been tough with um, certain legislation and pushing up against the Republicans in, in ways, particularly later in his administration. I think he's got the balls when he needs them. See, I, see this is, so what you're reflecting to me is this is flex flow thinking, because I completely agree, yeah. uh, of course. You know, if I was playing basketball with Obama and I, I kept doing hard fouls, he'd get in my face. Yeah. I know he would. Yeah. Um, and what I like is exactly what you're saying. Whether he made good decisions or not, his process about decisions was, first, is there a nonviolent alternative? Yeah. Second, is there a limited violent alternative? And always, um, is there an international alliance or even an inter, you know, intranational alliance? Yeah. You know, he would, was always looking... <clears throat> for the more world-centric solution. World-centric solution. Now, problem with him, as opposed to Clinton... You know, uh, um, uh, David Brooks, he said, uh, being led into battle uh, by Barack Obama is like being trumpeted into battle by Miles Davis. You just want to sit down and listen. <laughs> <laughs> I, didn't hear, I didn't see that. That's great. Yeah. And so in that sense, he's, you know, like, for instance, in retrospect, a mistake he made after the Affordable Care Act is he needed to go out and campaign for that act vigorously after it was passed. Instead, um, he got involved with other things, and he allowed um, the right to redefine the Affordable Care Act. And boy, did they. 
And they did, and 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 they've successfully done it. I, I was listening to um, interesting. Uh, I was listening to Don Beck on one of Ter- Terry's, and you know, Don Beck said, "Well, he kind of shoved it down everybody's throat." And I thought, "God, Don, you know, that's not exactly." Perhaps it was. I mean, when 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 Johnson signed the Civil Rights Voting the, the Civil Rights Act, he said, I, "We've just lost the South for a generation," um, yeah. and, and it was true. I mean, maybe, maybe there was something to do with that. So here's the thing that, that is kind of the subtext that always drives me crazy. The subtext is that there's these, these power centers, the, the institutions, you know, the, the ultra-wealthy and so on, um, that are um, a main constituency of elected officials. Yeah. And they're not the only constituency unless someone's totally calculated, but they're a main constituency. And so, and I know that those, that those institutions are in a way constrained by evolutionary forces. You know, you're not going to have one energy company get super green and lose 10% of their profit compared to other energy companies. You know, the whole energy industry has to have a regulation. And now if it does, it'll create more wealth. But they, and they have to have um, uh, lobbyists to lobby for laws that support their industry and support their company. You know, in, in that sense, when Romney said that uh, corporations are people, corporations act a lot like people. They maintain their own survival. If they have an opportunity, they have to go for it. You know, if my um, accountant says you can legally save 10% on your taxes, um, I, I don't, maybe if some people do, but I don't say, oh, no, um, I'm not going to legally save that 10%. I'm going to pay that 10% because I'm against that particular loophole. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And so th- those kinds of um, forces can only be dealt with with larger constraints that, that usually come up with some kind of populist ab- yeah. absurgence. That, that, like happened in 1905 and 1965, and, and maybe it's happening now as, 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 as led by Bernie. Exactly. Uh, well, let's look at that, because I think that if we can jump uh, over the orange category, we can come back to them uh, in sure. a minute. But yeah, Bernie is, well, I, I think just to go back to what you said, we're in an evolutionary stage where modernism is just ascendant. I mean, and modernism is about growth. And it's about money and it's about uh, accumulating wealth and creating wealth. And, and that's, of course, has its amazing, uh, uh, spectacular results of creating our modern world. But it also creates an economy that we see now uh, is rigged right. uh, for the rich. Um, it, you know, it sort of makes sense at this stage of the game. Uh, but what we're seeing in Bernie Sanders is a new legitimacy of that critique, uh, where he just flat out talks about the billionaires and, you know, and he demonizes them and he does what Green does. It's, it's all good in a way because it's on schedule. I mean, we're ready or, or at least we're moving into a green consciousness. It's just what's next. And yeah. so seeing an economy where 95% of the wealth creation goes to 1% of the population, that begins to sort of uh, tweak our moral sense. You know, that just doesn't seem right. Although, you know, by the rules of the game, it's what's happening and it's what, you know, a lot of this is done perfectly legally. But Almost all of it. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, Bernie is riding this wave and, you know, it doesn't look like Bernie's going to win the nomination and, and or the presidency, but he has, he has done an amazing achievement of creating a world space. And this is where I think I love Integral because we, we realize that thoughts are things and the more people think certain thoughts and the more people have certain conversations, that that groove is literally created in the cosmos. And so this new groove of social democracy coming to America, you know, Denmark coming to America, that is legitimate now. And that is going into the future. That is a permanent acquisition, in my opinion, that, um, damn it, you know, I, I, I will always be grateful to Bernie Sanders for that. I didn't think Me he could too. do it. I didn't think he would do it. And he's done it. I just love that guy. Me and, too. And, and, and one of the things I love is this data has been around forever. You know, the, the, there's a lot of things. Europe and the United States diverged in, in the 60s. And Europe went the social democracy route, uh, America less so. Um, and so um, let's look at the results. Denmark, happiest country on earth. Yep. Um, very, very stable. You know, uh, one thing about the rich getting richer, the poor getting poorer, which, which is a natural, going back to we have different drives, 
human, human social groups naturally create income disparity and wealth disparity. The only thing that, 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 that stops that is either revolution or, or consciousness, you know, because that's just a natural tendency for a variety of reasons. This guy from France put out a book on this uh, last year that was, you know, widely acclaimed, and, and his data is very, very, very persuasive about that. So then 95% of the people in this country, I'd say easily, are anxious about their lives, their security. They're anxious about having enough money if somebody gets sick. They're anxious about having enough for retirement. They're anxious about whether their kids can go to school. This is 95% of our country is anxious about it. And this causes Americans to work harder, more hours than any other country on earth. You know, sure, we're, we're ambitious and stuff, but another reason that we all work so hard is that we were raised anxious. We were raised where the sense is, you know, if we don't take care of ourselves, you know, we're really not going to be well taken care of. And in, in general, that's true. You know, we have a yeah. social safety net, but, you know, it's not, let's face it, it's not a great social safety net. Um, now, in the short run, uh, that discrepancy, that anxiety, that wealth discrepancy makes it easier for um, the institutions to make more immediate profits and makes it easier for unhealthy blue and orange to control their electorate so they can come up with policies that are really bad for those people. In the long run, that's horrible, because in the long run, what creates more wealth is a bigger middle class. Um, in the long run, what creates um, uh, healthier children, and we all want healthier children, um, is people feeling secure, like in Denmark, like in Holland. Uh, yeah. You, you know, a good example of this. Well, you know you're not going to end up living under the viaduct with your cat. That's right. You know. And your children won't. Yes. In Holland, in the 60s, they had about the same amount of teen pregnancy and, and um, uh, venereal disease and problems that the United States had. But Holland went the scientific route. They created quality sex education that focused on pleasure and intimacy, uh, that taught masturbation, that taught um, um, age-appropriate sexuality, that taught communication within the family about sexuality, that normalized it. They did a study and they found out that even doing all this, that um, the kids thought that the guys um, were more in charge of sex and their pleasure was more important. So they, they added an element to their sex therapy about women asserting their desire for power and, their, and so on. So let's fast forward. And the United States took the abstinence model with the Family Law Act in 1988. So fast forward. Um, Holland has one-seventeenth the amount of abortions that we have in the United States. Hmm. One-seventh the amount of um, teen pregnancy. Um, 87% and 91 of, of girls and 91% of boys say we had sex the first time. It was beautiful. Both of us really wanted it and had a good time. Two-thirds of American teenagers said, the first time I have sex, I regretted it. There was social pressure or opportunity. I wish I could have done it differently. Yeah. Um, and so the, it's very, very hard for, you know, for me to see all this that's happened in America. We're a stage behind, Keith. I know. We so are. I mean, I mean uh, and, and, and part of the reason is because, I think, is because Europe went through the conflagration of World War II viscerally in a way that Americans had no idea. That's a good point. You know, I mean, any of that traditionalist horseshit, that romantic militarism, even modernity, um, it was discredited. Because modernity just created, you know, a more efficient, uh, you know, concentration camps right. uh, and, and, and warfare. And the Germans got disabused of that. I mean, the Europeans in general got disabused of that in a way that we haven't yet. And there are other reasons. I think American character and you know, so forth is, you know, we're, but, but. More individualistic. Yeah. Yeah. And, and part of that is because of the, you know, people who came over here, you know, it was the <laughs> most adventurous, crazy people. Um, but uh, the guys. yeah, exactly. They they couldn't sit still. These people. <laughs> so you know we have that, but you know, so we're a stage behind it. It it, it it is very frustrating, you know. But we're moving there. You can see that even with you know all the sexual liberation and social media and sexting and all of that stuff. Even with us, teen teen pregnancy is going down. You know, yeah, as we move into it's 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 counterintuitive. It's like the more sex saturates the culture, the less pathological it is in a way, in a certain yeah. way. And and you it, point it that out. And, you were you sent me some notes, and you were saying that you know one of the things we have to grapple with is that earlier stages on the spiral. We're talking about amber and red. Uh, you know, the traditionalists and so forth. There they are more violent. They are more sexually violent. It's yeah. just, it's, it's not like sex isn't there. 
It's just that it, it it's not as civilized as it is after the sexual revolution. It's the strangest thing. It you know? is strange. Yeah. I, I'll bet, I, you know, I, I haven't seen data, but I'll bet the rate of sexual assault in, in, in the Netherlands colleges is less than the rate of sexual assault in American colleges. I think so, too. I mean, I would um, guess I, that. I, I, I would be surprised if it wasn't. Yeah. Yeah, they're, they're, and so now you know I'm doing now I'm doing my whack-a-mole again because yeah. now well it's frustrating. You know, like, part of me goes, God, I, you know, I want so much for every you know infant and every person to you know this isn't the green part of me. I want so much for them to have to have the opportunity to have a happy, secure, productive life. Um, yeah, and and it's so hard to see the the social forms that actually produce that being distorted and pathologized and attacked mm-hmm. and, and and so on. Um, by um, uh, by red and, and and blue and orange. Yeah. Um, and, and and yet they're just doing their thing. They're just doing their thing. Yeah. And you know and 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 it's 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 a hard conversation. It's and I'm glad that we're you know I was when we were talking about this. I said you know Jeff, um, I expect that my ideas about certain things will change through this conversation today, just yeah. today. Yeah. Um, and I thought those are the kinds of political conversations yeah. that, that I like to have. You know, where it's a true dialectic, we're kind of looking for deeper truth. Yeah. And those are the kinds of political conversations that hardly ever have. Yeah. You know, no, people I know. just kind of throw their, throw their positions at each they other. They get in their and, tribes and, you know, they yeah. do their thing. And, you know, I see that impulse in myself. Uh, but, you know, Integral asks us to challenge that. And, yep. you know, so you know, that's our practice. So I see we're getting close to the end here. And I, I do want to, you know, go back to what actually is probably most likely maybe – uh, uh-huh. And that's our other two candidates, which are the, you know, sort of boring moderates. <laughs> you know, John Kasich and Hillary Clinton, you know. <laughs> and, and you can see where you feel for these people because they're actually adults. They're smart. They have reasonable positions. They want to move the ball. And yet they can't get any attention or any respect because they're not lighting anybody up with, you know, ideology. You know, I have a fantasy about Hillary Clinton and, and sitting down at a bar with with uh, um, Trump and saying, "You know, Donald, what I like about you." And Donald goes, "What, Hillary?" And she goes, "You make the rest of us look so good." <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah. You know, like you know, Hillary. I I don't know why, but Hillary is not promoting a vision. You know, David Brooks mentioned this. He's one of my favorite guys around this. Yeah. And she needs to. And you know, if if they had, if the, if the Republicans had any kind of a of a credible, attractive candidate, um, probably would beat Hillary the way that Bush beat Gore. Well, we um, see that Kasich would beat her, in, you know, poll after poll. That just you know, and, and that's kind of no. Now Kasich scares me less. Than, yeah. No, than me too. Trump Cruz. Yeah, me too. But people forget, you know, you're not just electing a president; you're electing an administration. You're electing thousands of jobs. You're yeah. electing Supreme Court nominees. Absolutely. You know, you're electing um, uh, social policy. Uh, I mean, I remember one of the first things that the Bush administration did is they, they said, we're going to raise the, the rate of arsenic that's acceptable in drinking water. You know, that your, our level of arsenic is too, it's too hard on business. You know, we've we got to save yeah. the, the, the water. And I thought, boy, this, this presages things to come, and it, and it did. Uh, and that scares me. I mean, I hope that... that, that the, they can't. The Republicans can't effectively get a credible candidate because Hillary's going to have to raise her game to be able to be elected against a credible candidate. Yeah. Oh yeah, she will. You know, after we find out who the candidates are, you know, there's you know the, the old etch a sketch thing is actually true. You know, the, the, we, we sort of have a reset, and everybody yeah. looks at these two. They may not like either one of them, but you know, at some point you pick. It's binary. You pick one or the other. Well, you and, know, I think Hillary has has the potential to be one of the best presidents ever. I do too. Because I think that Hillary all along, I mean, Clinton, Clinton once confessed weirdly to one of his lovers. She said, why do you stay with her? He said, well, one, she's one of the most brilliant people I've ever met. And two, she's organized. Yeah. She's focused. Right. She keeps me on track. And I'm thinking, God, do I want a mature person who's organized and focused and brilliant yeah. running the most powerful country in, in the world and perhaps you know, continuing um, the Obama move to uh, yeah. a more world-centric and environmentally yeah. friendly. Yeah. Um, Me too. Me yeah. too. And you know the other thing? And this is a little bit sexist. I want a woman. <laughs> We're ready. It's time. Yeah. 
You know, I well, don't know what that, that even crazy. means, but I, I'm just, I feel like it's, it's time and it would be good for the world. And, you know, I, I want that, I want that experiment to be uh, commenced. I completely agree. Except it can't be a Sarah Palin crazy. <laughs> That's true. You know, it's got, you know, no, like, it, it, is developmental state. levels trump sex. It's true. Right. If, you know, you'll pardon the expression. <laughs> <laughs> you can't even use Trump anymore as a, as a, as a mean, plain old it, verb. Well, I think probably, I, and and also, I think the person who's most shocked about the Trump candidacy is probably Trump. <laughs> I know. Um, no, yeah, he, he was just... The one thing that I love about Hillary, Hillary once, what they were asking her, and in a, in a, a candid moment, she got this really happy, you know, someone mentioned it, and she said, she said, I can't wait to debate him. She just yeah. smiled. Uh, and at that moment, that her intelligence and her humor and her warmth, yeah. You know, broke through that, yeah. that barrier. And I went, yes, I love you, Hillary. Please be my president. Yeah. Well, which leads me to maybe my last and most simple question for you. Who do you think it's going to be on the Republican side and on the Democratic side? And who's going to be the final uh, winner? Well, remember, I, you know, I have, I have practically no expertise in this area. Other than, <laughs> well, that other shouldn't than stop you. I'm a student of everything. Um, I think... I think First of all, I think Hillary will be the Democratic nom- yeah. nominee and the eventual winner. Um, okay. Um, I, I think I, I have no idea what will happen with the, the whole Republican. Um, what we're seeing is, is you know, the, they, they get, the Republicans got power by pushing right. But by pushing right, they had to um, basically dismiss the, the moderate Republicans. I think the moderate Republicans are, are basically um, a silent majority, you know, like Nixon yeah. said. And I think that they're scared of saying what they think. Like Bobby Jindal said, well, I don't want us to be the stupid party. And he never lived that down. We never heard from him again. Never heard from him again. <laughs> and, and, and so the, the fact that again and again and again, moderate Republicans, um, they, they're, they're good soldiers. They want, they're going to vote Republican, most of them, if they vote. But... But I think that that's kind of the hope of the future. And, and, and weirdly, you know, I, I, if they get a candidate from there, um, that, that candidate might beat Hillary. Um, I think that that would probably be a minor catastrophe, but it would be nice to see the resurgence of the Republican. Because I think the Republican middle can magnetize the, the, the progressive middle, but the progressive middle can't magnetize the Republican middle. Yeah. Um, because if we if they they look either patronizing or then the Republican middle gets accused of being Republicans in name only. Yeah. So that's just my hope that that, <clears throat> the, that the upset in the Republican Party creates a stronger Republican Party that, yeah. that's, that's ruled by moderates. But I I predict Hillary. I, I hope. Maybe that's just my hope. I don't yeah. know. I mean, maybe I'm doing whack a mole again. I think that's my hope. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, mine How about too. You? What do you predict? Well, you I, I you know I. I I, I, the Republican thing is really up in the air. I mean, if I had, if if I really had to predict, if if they're smart, they might go with Cruz if he, you know, continues to uh, magnetize some moderates, and there's a, a sense that he could beat Hillary. But right yeah. now, Kasich would be. I mean, if they're smart, they would go with probably a Kasich Rubio ticket, something like that. And I think that might beat Hillary. I think it probably would beat Hillary because it's very hard to get a third term for any party. Yeah. You know, so yep. that's just sort of the natural ebb and flow of things. But if they go with Cruz versus Hillary, I think that's a toss up. Uh, I think she'd win. Uh, Trump versus Hillary, I think she'd beat him very soundly. And that there would be a lot of progress in that uh, kind of an election because it would uh, discredit uh, and, and take Trumpism to defeat. And that would be salutary to the red meme. You know, they would see that right. doesn't work. And that's actually evolutionarily potent. I don't want that to be the case, even though I think it would be a more sure uh, victory for uh, the Democrats, uh, because at any given day, you know, there's um, an attack. I don't know, whatever. We could end up with President Trump, which would be. <laughs> oh, God. I mean, uh, no, we don't. I, I, I don't really want to contemplate that. Thank God no. we have, you know, uh, checks and balances, uh, because the guy's really just um, I had some hope for him. You know, I, there's a part of me that's the dread who just wants Big Daddy to come in and set things straight and, you know, bust up this sure. system. You know, I was like, okay, until I realized that he's just, you know, a pig. You know, <laughs> you, know. I, you know, he is. And, and you know, in, in, in that sense, you know, I, it was that thing he said about Romney. 
you know, Romney, get down on your knees, Romney, for my money. It's like, fuck you. That, 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 right. uh, when he said that, I thought, okay, you're hopeless. Well, yeah, you, you know, we, we do not want, uh, you know, probably one of the most effective social changers in the short run of all time was Genghis Khan. <laughs> yeah. You know? Well, yeah, Genghis Red can Khan be very created, effective. He was very effective. He created the biggest um, peaceful um, country that had been known to man that only lasted, you know, the life of him and his, and his son and a little bit of, of his grandson. Yeah. Yeah. You know, when you talk... I, I really see, I, I'm going, so you're a spiral wizard. Okay, so the spiral wizards care about the spiral. Yeah. And so you notice how you answered out of your, your concern for the spiral. You know, you want to support the spiral. You want to support yeah. the developmental flow um, towards healthy manifestations of the value means and then healthy up-leveling um, from, yeah. from level to level. That's your instinctive response. Um, yeah. You know, that, so your response to me is the hope of the future. That's the integral age yeah. where, you know, you don't have to reach for that response. That's just where you live. You know, well, let me see, you know, my, your unconscious, your constructive shadow says, wow, what's best for the spiral? That's yeah. what I want. Yeah, for the whole system. And tr yeah. to trust that there's a loving intelligence at work somewhere here. And yeah. it's not obvious, God knows. But <laughs> <laughs> if you look at the whole trajectory... Of, you know, the Big Bang till now. It's like, you know, how do you end up with this amazing world we live in? You take a big right. mass of hydrogen and leave it alone for 13.8 billion years. Yeah. It's astonishing. Oh, boy. You know, something's yeah. happening here. And, and, and this is why I love your optimism. And, and I, I, I think about it, actually. When I get pissed off, I think, you know, Jeff's optimistic and for good reason. Yeah. You know, that, that the, you know the, it's been a rising tide throughout moder modernity. And even the most vile right-wing attacks can't do certain things that people normally did in 1963 and 64. You know, that, you can't use certain words or epithets anymore. You can't suppress the vote in certain ways that you used to be able to do, even with this new vote suppression stuff. That even though the Republicans have drifted right, there's still, the culture is progressing, kind of in spite of Absolutely, yeah. No, when you talk about manipulating the electorate, if you remember back in 2000, Karl Rove was, uh, you know, flogging gay rights is, you know, something that would bring the Republicans out to vote. Right. And now here we are 16 years later where, you know, that's been turned on its head. So, you know, we take a little too much responsibility for, you know, our role in things. It's like there's something happening that we're just part of. And I always I, want to keep that in mind, too. You know, you said that in the beginning of our talk. And I, I noticed that I went... You know, you said we just need to kind of do our best and allow the process to unfold, to work itself. And I found that relaxing. And, yeah. I, and I thought to myself, I don't hear that very often from anybody but Jeff, that, that I, don't have to, I don't have to push the process. All I need to do is support the process because it's, it's a virtuous process. Yeah. It's, it's a loving process uh, on balance. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that is a relief, my brother. Oh, Jeff. You know, thank you. Thank you for helping educate, oh, educate me in this oh, area. Well, likewise. This, this difficult really. area. Yes. Well, it's so great to just, you know, uh, we're good citizens, Keith. You know, we're, we're talking about this stuff. And, you know, all we can do is, is you know, talk about it, invade with our friends. You know, I got my blog, you're doing your thing. And then, you know, like everybody else, we go and vote. You know, right. I mean, let's like pause for a moment and be grateful that we don't have to actually pick up our pitchforks, you oh, know, God. and go down to this to town square and fight it out. Uh, yeah. You know, so we're you living know, in if, great times here. If there were past lives, I know that my personality, if, if my past lives had this current personality, I was killed before I was 40 in all of them. You know? <laughs> this, this whole... Somebody off was in the wrong place at the wrong time. Bam. He's dead. Coming back again. Yeah. You know, it's, it's only in this culture that, you know, that we can be ourselves and not get persecuted. Yeah. And thank God for that. Absolutely. Let's appreciate it. You know. <laughs> all right. Well, thank you, Keith. And always a pleasure. And we'll, uh, you know, we'll straighten this thing out before it's all over. One way or the other. <laughs> And thank you, everybody, for listening. We love hearing from you. And, and thank you for your letters and emails and all of that good stuff. And, and Keith, is there anything you'd like to point people to that you're working on? 
Um, just go to my website. Uh, I have a book in press, um, Shadow, that I'm very excited about, but I don't know when it's going to come out. It might be a few months. It might be longer. Uh, and I'll, t- I'll, we'll, I'll talk about it when uh, I know more about it. But the manuscript's done. It's just getting uh, tweaked right now. Looking forward to it. And your website is drkeithwit.com. That's right. People can find my lectures there. They can find my books there. And they can get, have a link to lo- my Loving Completely class, which you can also get uh, Integral Life. Cool. And you can find more from me at dailyevolver.com and also Integral Life. Thank you, everybody, for listening. And, uh, Thank you. Yeah, and we'll see you next time. 